This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, it's Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Today I got my friend Kenny Wolf on the line. How's it going, Kenny? Hey, good, Lane. How are you? Good. So you're calling from Plano, Texas, right? Yes, Plano, Texas, from our office. We met through a referral and I gave you a call probably about earlier this year and you're real helpful so i thought we'd get you on the podcast and share your story oh great thank you lane so kenny how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how you're doing it well we so we started about six years in multifamily real estate so we've built that up over the past few years so we've been involved in 70 million dollars worth of transactions and anyways long story short is i quit my day job when i was 33 years old and that was six-figure income there and then it's built up from there maybe take me back to your mid or early 20s and tell us what you were doing at that time. Take us through your Han Solo moment where you uh, life took a pivot point. You've gone into this multifamily business. I like this question. It's, it's nice to look back and see what moments were pretty life-changing. We've had quite a few in our, I guess the biggest one was I got into oil and gas accounting at a college and signed up with a small oil and gas company. And then worked my way up and eventually made CFO and was a partner at the age of 28. That was a big moment for us. We we're over in Shreveport, Louisiana, doing oil and gas venture and making good money. And then oil and gas started to take a dip. So we had to pivot ourselves. We looked around, looked at single family, looked at multifamily, and decided to jump into multifamily real estate. What was the internal dialogue there with a lot of people getting into single family like myself, but you skipped right over it? The real reason we, you know, we went to this one of those two-day events. The first day, they talked about single family. And on that single family day, we were so excited. My wife and I were so excited. At the end of the day, we were like, we decided we were going to buy 10 houses and manage them from Shreveport because we knew in Dallas because we knew we were going to move back to Dallas at some point. Anyways, the second day, they talked about multifamily, and that just kind of scrapped the whole single family idea for us anyways because we had the means to jump right into multifamily, and it was a way we can really scale up quickly. I haven't been to that seminar, but it kind of seems like take inventory of what you've got in terms of you know how much cash you have on hand. It just makes more sense to go to multifamily if you do. Well, what point would you say if someone getting started, dollar figure would be enough to just get started in multifamily? I'd say about 50 grand. I think about 50,000 is what you need to really kind of get going and buy something big enough because our goal was to buy something at least 60 units or higher for our first property because if you buy below that number, it's a lot more hands-on. If you're hands-on in the day-to-day of your property, then you can't scale up. You're bogged down. So our goal was to actually buy a 60-unit property or bigger just so we could really focus on building our portfolio and not be bogged down on calls about toilets or evictions or anything like that. Take me back to, so you get started with this multifamily, you found the deal. How old were you when you found that first deal and kind of take us through the path you are to now to quitting your job and what you were thinking? Yeah, we got started in December of 2010. So I was 28 years old. Really, our first two deals were kind of passive investments. We did it just to be able to learn the ropes of how to be a deal sponsor and how to correctly protect other people's money and put it to work. We did two of those investments and then we bought our first 76, our, our first property that we bought as a syndicator, a deal we put together was 76 units and that was in 2012. You got those apartments and you were still working a day job. Take us through that time in your life where you're living two lives and path to finally quitting because that's kind of where I'm at right now. I have to go to my day job after this. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Yeah. We at that time when we were getting going, I had a wife and a daughter. 
So it's a little harder to just burn the bridges or burn the boats, as they say. So what I did was I found a oil and gas accounting job, which agreed to pay me three quarters of the pay, but also agreed to three quarters of the time. Basically, I worked a three quarter job until I was able to lay off my job. Was there some kind of like a monthly passive cash flow number that you're at at that time to make that feasible? There's a goal. You kind of set these incremental goals, and I think that's good. So our first goal was to make 5000 a month passively, and that wasn't really able to quit my day job, but it was just the first goal, and then after that was 10000 Then after 10000 I was able to quit my day job. Some people think that apartment vesting is more of a passive activity, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's great that you can quit your job and have all this free time and you know dive right in full time, but the deals, they don't come along very often and more than two hours a day doing this stuff, you're going to go crazy because there's not much to do. What's your thoughts on that? 2016 was tough to find any kind of solid deal for us. This year, the only thing we closed were kind of two smaller deals and they were off-market transactions. You know, I ran a lot of numbers and made a lot of bids and stuff, but I was always kind of outbid by half a million to a million dollars on these properties. That's fine. I tend not to be too aggressive on my underwriting. And I think 2016 was the pretty bad year to be aggressive. So we'll see. I think 2016 might have been the peak. But looking for these properties, especially in 2016, 2015, you had to look at probably 100 properties, analyze them, and then probably maybe 10 of those worked out. And maybe you landed one of them. So it was a lot of legwork. So you do have to put in the work to analyze the deals, but you got to have that drive to quit your W-2 job and you have to look at the long-term advantages. Like last night, I got like five properties to analyze and they were all junk. I thought my <laughs> spreadsheet was broken, but no, it was the deals. <laughs> no, I think it's other people's spreadsheets that are broken. <laughs> what does your crystal ball say with 2017 with Mr. Trump? getting in office. I know it's a tough answer to, to yeah. give, but what's your outlook? Are we? You mentioned 2016 was the peak for apartment investing with interest rates and cap rates. What's your call there? Interest rates jumped up the past six weeks, almost a full point. So if you're buying a deal for yield play and you had it under a contract over that six weeks, I imagine your business model does not make sense at the moment. What that means, if you had a value play, that's a different story. You can probably make it up if it's a value add deal. But if it's a yield play, you're buying for cash flow over those six weeks, it probably made your returns jump down quite a bit. What I think for 2017, I think we're going to see prices come down. I think it's going to take probably a full nine months before sellers realize that they can't get 2016 prices in 2017. But I think it'll take a while for them to realize that the buyers just can't pay what they were paying it when rates were four and a quarter. We just could uh, cash out refi with Fannie Mae and it was at 5.13%. So Anyways, I think it's changing. I'm actually excited about it because, like I said, we couldn't find much for 2016 that made sense for us. So I think with interest rates going up, I think cap rates are going to have to go up in the short term as well. I've been using 5.25 as an interest rate. And something I've been telling all the brokers lately is debt service coverage ratio. I'm like, dude, I can't get a loan if it's less than 1.25. I don't know what you've been kind of telling some of these guys lately. I'm sure you got a little better tracker record than I am, but any tips there? I do the same thing, Lane. I beat in their head. And like, for me, I get to my price, my final price, and said, look, this is my final price. I can't budge. And then they come back and said, all right, well, these guys are at 150 grand higher. Can you match them? I said, no. And it's because the interest rates are up. And also, I don't retrade deals. So you got to talk to these brokers and try to build rapport with them. But you also got to stick to your numbers too. If you start fudging on the buy side, your numbers, you're going to get burned at some point. 
Not being one of the big boys investing quite yet, aka the accredited investor in the eyes of the SEC, it's tough to find good options for investing. But then I started investing in the American Homeowner Preservation Fund, or AHP Fund, which is crowdfunding the mortgage crisis in America. The fund collaborates with existing homeowners to keep them in their homes. It's a way to make great returns while feeling good about making a social impact. After investing myself in the fund, it was awesome when they approached me to become an advertiser of the company. You can start investing with as little as 100 bucks, and if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email to lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. We'll get chugging through these questions here. Kenny, what's your worst life or business moment? What'd you do after it? What was the lesson learned? I don't know if I'd call it my worst, but it was something that we had to work through, uh, my wife and I. But uh, so we were 24 years old and we bought an existing business, bought a tanning salon here in Dallas-Fort Worth. Looking back, I've got a smile on my face, kind of laughing about it, but we did learn a lot from it. We bought it from a couple and the wife was working in the store as the manager and all that. So our goal was to buy it, operate it more efficiently, obviously, and then also get it to where we could hire a day-to-day manager who can handle all that there at the place. We couldn't quite get it there to where we could have the on-site manager, really. We ended up just closing the doors. So we, we learned a lesson there. Biggest one was go big or go home. If you're going to go for an investment opportunity, make sure that when you buy it, it's kind of where at a baseline where you want it to be. And then obviously you want to grow it from there. But if you don't want to be working in the day-to-day, don't buy a property that needs day-to-day or a business any kind of investment that needs day-to-day hands-ons. What kind of a percentage return on investment were you looking at every year percentage-wise? That was the thing. It's kind of similar to single-family kind of. You make good returns, but if you're not compensating your time that you have there at the property or the investment, it's not really making that great return. We were doing like 15 20% returns, but like I said, my wife is up there probably 20, 30 hours a week working there. So we, we did pay her a small salary, but it really wasn't enough to make up for all the time and effort spent there. So 15, 20%, you can do apartment investing and sit here on the microphone with me in the morning. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we found a much better model, but we learned a lot. Like I said, to go big or go home was the biggest lesson there. seems like I've met a lot of people who've done small franchises like Smoothie Kings or Subways, and they find their way into apartment investing. Uh, I think yeah. they kind of shoot for, you know, 20 to 30% a year. Much oh yeah, more. for sure. Yep. Not much more than real estate investing. A lot more work, I bet. Yeah, and especially if you're in apartments. I mean, I'd probably spend maybe four or five hours a month on each property myself because we've got a manager on site who handles all the day-to-day needs. We've got a maintenance on site that handles all the maintenance requirements. So I don't have to mess with the actual day-to-day business at the property. I can focus on looking at income statements, balance machines, make sure we're hitting budgets, and also getting all that information back to investors in a timely manner too. So. That's kind of my job. And also focus on buying new properties. One time I was kind of going down the rabbit hole of an assisted living facility, but then I realized that, hey, this is a, this is a business. This is like a <laughs> Right. What's your current two-week experiment and six-month project? I keep adding on to this spreadsheet, this underwriting spreadsheet, making it more efficient. So that's the next two weeks. Just kind of focus on that, get that tightened up, make sure it's, it is as easy as it can be. Uh, underwriting a property. The goal is to be able to underwrite about 15 minutes or less on our property. So if I can do that with that spreadsheet, then we're doing okay. And then the next six months, we've kind of already started a little bit, but we've also started a hard money loan business. And we made our first hard money loan about four weeks ago. It was a 10 unit multifamily historic property in New Orleans, which is kind of cool. So we started that business. And I think this next six months, it's really going to take off. 
something I've been doing with my analyzer spreadsheet is I got it on Google Sheets now so that everybody on the team has access to it on their cell phone. Right, yeah. I'm a Mac guy, so I've got a habit of numbers. (laughs) (laughs) What is your simple passive cash flow number? And imagine you had two times that. What's that number and describe your ideal day and detailed routine and what projects you'd be working on? I like that question. The question I more asked myself as I was moving along through this process, and I still do, is I think, well, if I won the lottery yesterday or tomorrow, what would I do differently in my life? And honestly, I can say I wouldn't do anything different. I'd still come to the office, look for investments and find investors, put deals together. I just love what I do. So really, I don't think much would change, to be honest with you. For me, I just enjoy it too much. What's your ideal day these days? What is your routine that you go through? So I get up pretty early. I get about or five, five o'clock, five thirty. Do some emails there at the house on the iPad, and then work out, and then get to the office about eight thirty, eight forty-five. Again, get to work and stay till about five o'clock, five thirty. Shut it down and go hang out with the family. <laughs> so recently, you got like a brick and mortar office you go to. Yeah, exactly. So we got that about uh, almost six weeks ago now. So we got it almost fully operational. The only thing missing is my desk. Everybody else has everything else. I'm missing my desk. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what was the trigger to get that as opposed to just working off your couch or office or garage or whatever you were working on before then? I saw it as a way to kind of expand ourselves. What really kind of kicked it off was I had a meeting with some private equity guys and they were I was going after a large property and needed to find an extra five, six million dollars to raise. And so I was talking to these private equity guys here in Dallas and um, had lunch with them. And they said, you know, I've got three strikes against me to talking to these higher net worth individuals. One was I don't have enough gray hair in my head. And then the second was I had only done 1,800 units so far. And then third was I didn't have an office. So anyways, I can't do much about the gray hair unless I want to die, I guess. And then the 1,800 units, we keep adding on to those. And the office was something I could do. So we got the office and hire an assistant. It's going to help to streamline a lot of things for me. And now I can focus more on deal analysis and finding new investments for our investor database. Yeah, I think I'm going to patent that touch of gray. (laughs) I think we're going to need that. So uh, anyways, now we have an office. It is nice to have one. You're not having to drive as much, which is a big deal of meeting at Starbucks and other places to meet folks. All right. So something that you thought about recently burning your cash on for time savings or improvement in quality of life? Really, I'd say the office and having an assistant, that was the whole goal for us is to save time and improve the quality of life that we already had. That's kind of what we've done recently. Can't think of really anything else that's kind of the bigger one right now. But I'm always looking for ways to streamline things, make it more efficient. That way we can focus on the things that we want to focus on. What are some of the tasks that you throw to your assistant? We mail out checks to our investors quarterly, so she helps with that. She actually helped design our new logo. She's had an arch background, so that's great. We're working on some other things, too. We're going to improve the quality of our investment summaries and packages to investors. We're going to send out a quarterly newsletter, things like that. Obviously, kind of mail, telephone stuff as well. So really, I throw everything at her. (laughs) One question I have is uh, with your investment communications like emails or the big PDFs that we send out. How are you doing those? I mean, a lot of us have engineering or like accounting backgrounds and we're not artistic directors or that coming from that field. You just outsource that or how are you doing those products? Well, so I was doing one in-house and in-house meant, meant myself doing it. And like you, I've got an accounting background. I don't really have an art bone in my body, but what we did was we kept 
fine tuning it. It got pretty good. I was okay with it. Investors seemed okay with it, but I wanted something a little extra. So now we're doing it on the PowerPoint, doing it that way as a way to easily do more of the artwork, add more photos. The goal for the investment summary is to have an investor who's never seen the property feel like they know it after looking at eight, 10 pages of a document. So that's what we're trying to do is to keep doing that and get it fine tuned. Right. Don't make it look too nice. Some people see that as a turnoff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tony Robbins identifies two large concepts that we are continually struggling to gain perfection at. First is the art of fulfillment. And the second is the science of achievement. If you died tomorrow and I were to email this to your kids a couple of decades later when they would finally listen, what would be your secret or hack to the science of achievement? Any secret um, habits there? It's pretty simple. And to me, it's do what you're passionate about. If whatever you're passionate about doesn't pay the bills, then you have to start building passive income from an early age. I'm fortunate my passion is making money for other investors and doing that. So that's my passion. So it kind of works out for me. But for those that don't have that passion of investing and things like that, then really you've got to focus on passive income. If you're a school teacher, if whatever you are and it doesn't pay enough, then you've got to start focusing on that passive income. Well, and also too, just real quick, in the fulfillment piece, we're pretty down to earth folks. We've got a decent sized house, but nothing flashy. We don't have a second home. I think the art of being fulfilled is not always chasing the trappings of the wealthy, right? And that's what they call it, the trappings, right? It traps you. If you're more down to earth, if you're more in touch with reality, I guess, no matter how much money you make, then I think you'll be more easily fulfilled than if you were to keep chasing second homes and third homes, all those kind of flashy things, unless you just enjoy that. You going to do any uh, charity work or any foundation in the future for you? We're pretty active. My wife and daughter, they do a lot of work for a no-kill animal shelter there here in Carrollton, Texas. So they do a lot of volunteer work with that. I'm the treasurer of our church and sit on the board, so I, I do that there too. And then on the investment side, for folks getting interested in investing, I also host a monthly meetup at a local restaurant here, and it seats 60 folks. And that's two, three hours of we have a guest speaker that speaks for 20, 30 minutes. I invite them in, and then we network for probably another two hours until they kick us out of the restaurant. So I guess that's kind of a way of giving back. It's creating a space for folks that are interested in getting started and for those that are raising money or seasoned passive investors just to come together once a month and meet and facilitate that community. So as a multifamily investor, how do you kind of facilitate most people in their single family or fix and flippers or wholesalers? How do you facilitate that or just bring them all into a room? So what we do is it's just that meetup is solely for multifamily investors or investing. If you're new to it or, or whatever, you want to learn about multifamily, you're more than welcome to come learn about it. But we don't cover single family at all. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Kenny, anything we missed, uh, get your contact information out there. People get a hold of you, maybe a URL. Yeah, sure. So our website is www.wolf-re.com. Wolf is spelled W-O-L-F-E. On that website, you can see the properties that we own and also our phone number and email. All right. Well, I appreciate you getting on the line today, Kenny. That was well, thank a- you, Lane. I appreciate it for having me. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk.
The content found here is just my opinion, and things change, and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself, because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.